Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert speaks about Mark 6, 1-29, with a warning. Three ways we might reject Jesus and his kingdom, without even knowing it. Let's hear today's message. We are continuing to work our way through the Gospel of Mark, remembering always the the thesis or theme verse in chapter 1 where Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So every time we read a different portion of Mark, we ought to be looking back and saying, all right, so who is Jesus and what is this kingdom and, and what does it mean for me to repent and believe? What does that What does that look like and how do these passages inform our understanding? Of course, we're going with a schedule. Some of you are reading right along and you might have gone, wait, 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 we're supposed to read more than what Kristen just read. Indeed, uh, this morning we are assigned Mark uh, 6, verse 1 through 29. Three accounts, uh, one of Jesus in his hometown, the second of the sending of the disciples, and the third the beheading of John the Baptist. Now, we're not going to read that one, but we will point to it and consider it together. Because anytime you have stories back to back to back like this, you ought to be asking the question, what do they have in common? What I hope that you will see right away is that all three of these accounts have to do with rejection. People are rejecting Jesus or rejecting Jesus the kingdom. So I was thinking about this passage, uh, 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 a book series came to mind. It's my my kids' favorite books of all times. Nothing even comes close to rivaling Harry Potter in the Tolbert home. You might think the Bible, yeah, maybe, no. Harry Potter is what my kids (laughs) love to read. Anybody else? I know we've got some kids in here love Harry Potter, yeah? Adults as well. Harry Potter is a, is a tremendous uh, series, uh, written, of course, by J.K. Rowling's. And the series has sold over 600 million copies. That is to say, it is the best-selling book, his, uh, book series in human history. Best-selling book series in human history. It's, it's been translated into 85 different languages And then, of course, made into movies. And as a a set of movies, it is now the fourth highest grossing film series. Made over $7.7 billion, at least according to one stat I was reading. But I think that was written before my kids watched them again, two or three or four times. So it's probably made more than that. This came to my mind because I'm aware, as we're thinking about rejection, I'm aware that a few years back, J.K. Rowling's published some of the rejection letters that she received from uh, publishers when she held out the concept for Harry Potter. I want you to think about that. I'll put one of these letters in front of you. I know you can't read it, but I just want you to kind of imagine this. This is one of many that she posted on a social media site. The first line reads this, Dear Robert Galbraith, that was her 
pen name by which she submitted the Harry Potter story. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to consider your novel, which we have looked at with interest. However, I regret that we have reluctantly come to the conclusion that we could not publish it with commercial success. I.e., we don't think we could make any money off of this story. Can you imagine? Now, Rowling said she, she was not putting these out for any sense of revenge, but instead for inspiration. She wanted to encourage other authors, authors who, who received rejection. And so you might notice she uh, removes the signature uh, on that letter. But make no mistake, somebody signed that letter. That somebody is likely still alive today. Could you imagine being the person who had J.K. Rowling's and Harry Potter in your hands only to reject it? I want to use that concept as we come into the scripture. We could take the scripture a couple of different ways this morning. As we look at the ways that Jesus and his kingdom are rejected, we could consider, hey, who out there rejects Jesus and why? If we took it that way, it might help us understand our world a little bit better and maybe help us think about the way we might approach others as we share our faith. That would not be a bad way to approach these passages. But I want to take a different angle. I want to look at ourselves, not anyone else. I want to ask, is there any chance that we might, like that publisher who had J.K. Rowling's in their grip only to reject them, is there any chance that these passages point to us and that we might unwittingly be people who, having Jesus in his kingdom right here, rejected him? Because I think you'll see categories of people lifted up in these stories. And as we think about the category of people, if we're honest with ourselves, we might go, ooh, yeah, that is me sometimes. And having been warned, maybe by God's loving protection, we will keep ourselves from being those who reject Jesus' presence and power in our life. And so let, let's look at these together. Mark chapter 6, again, we'll look at these first two that have been read. And then, though we're not going to read it, we'll point to the last one that we haven't read uh, yet this morning. I'll trust that you can read that on your own later this afternoon, even as we draw out a couple of verses from within it. Let me pause one more time to pray, and then we'll come to God's word together. Lord God, thank you that you have given us your word and your spirit. Thank you that you've given us to one another as the church. Thank you that you've given us the sacrament of Holy Communion. All of it, Lord, working together in ways we don't fully understand to help us uh, be encountered by you. To be encountered by the gospel, your kingdom. And to give our life to you that we indeed might enjoy and celebrate that life you came to give us. And so, Lord, 
keep us from being people who simply hear the word and then leave it be. Instead, Lord, help us to take it in. Let it transform us. Help us to leave empowered by your presence in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I'll warn you a little bit. If you can't tell from my voice, I've been fighting off a bit of a cold this week. I feel better today than I have the last few days, but I'm still kind of in this head fog. You know that thing? So let me give you the outline straight out, just in case I get lost in the weeds. You can help pull me back, right? So in the first story, verses 1 through 6, we'll consider this, that those who are overly familiar with Jesus tend to reject his presence and power in their life. There's a warning about being overly familiar. Then the second story about sending the disciples out, that's verses 7 through 13. We'll notice that an an unwillingness to inconvenience ourselves might also mean that we reject the presence of Jesus and his power in our life. And then lastly, the one we haven't read, the story of John the Baptist being beheaded, will recognize the obvious but still hard to wrestle with idea that when we allow any other authority to rival Jesus' authority in our life, well, we by nature reject him, his presence and his power. All right, so let's go through that. Verses 1 through 6. Notice that this passage comes right on the tail of the passage we were looking at last week. Sometimes there's a gap between uh, our readings as we're working our way through the gospel, but not, not this week. So you'll remember last week, Jesus acts with tremendous power in the lives of people. Remember, we watched the the video of the chosen. Some of you went to to go watch that yourself. And you saw how he healed this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And even more, he, he brings a little girl who had died back to life. It's incredible power and a picture of what the kingdom might do as it, it comes into the world. As we begin our passage this morning, we see the very common words Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Anytime you're reading scripture and see a change of location, you go, okay, some kind of new concept is coming here. And so he left there and now he's in his hometown. That is Nazareth. And he's not just preaching in the street corners in Nazareth. The scripture says he goes to the synagogue and begins to teach and do some miraculous things there. I mean, get your head around that. This is the synagogue that Jesus has grown up in as a boy. I remember the church I grew up in. I told you it's very similar to this one. I remember there was a boiler room, and I could go into the boiler room as a little kid when we were playing in hide-and-seek, and I could see out of the air vent at everybody, and nobody knew I was there. I knew that church inside and out, as I bet the strunk kids know our church inside and out, right? Jesus knew this place, and more than that, they, they knew him. And so look how the scripture refers to his presence there. In verse 2, he he begins to teach and preach and do miracles. And at first they go, what wisdom? What miracles? 
In fact, if, if we're going to read it in the NIV, as Kristen read it, it would say, what's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable, remarkable miracles he is performing? A good translation, but one that kind of misses a little fun wordplay that's going on there. On the, on the wall, you'll see that verse translated by the English Standard Version. It says this, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? See, there's a Greek word there at the end that really points to hands. The English Standard Version, being more careful about being literal with the words, brings that out. What, what, how are such mighty works done by his hands? And then notice where it goes next. Isn't he a carpenter? As if to say, wait a minute, we know these hands, and we know what they do. These hands work with wood. They don't bring people back from the dead. And in fact, who does this guy think he is? I mean, we know him. Isn't he Mary's son? Doesn't he have a bunch of squirrely brothers and sisters? We know all of them. They just cause all sorts of trouble around here. Like, who is this guy? Take in the reality of the familiarity that threatens Jesus' presence in this place. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home." He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He could not do any miracles there. Their lack of faith, nurtured by their familiarity, kept the Messiah, the one who created the cosmos, from being able to do certain things in their midst. Get your head around that? That our unbelief can limit God's power in our presence. I don't understand it, but that's what the Scripture says. Does it, does it not? We go, oh boy, we better be careful. Jesus' brother and sisters and relatives, they're, they're long gone. So it's not a threat to them anymore, but let me ask the question, who, who's the most familiar with Jesus today? If we had to say a category of people, who is the most familiar? Who knows Jesus the best? Who seems to be closest to him? What? Clergy people, sure, yeah, absolutely. That's why when we go to cemetery, I mean seminary, right, our faith <laughs> dies. Yeah, there is a real danger there. But it's not just for me. Who else is close to Jesus? The church, right? We are the people who are closest to Jesus and as such are in danger of becoming overly familiar with him. Like me, many of you grew up, some of you, in this place. You, you know the secret places. You know the, 
You know the history. You know the way Jesus acts. This is what Jesus does, and this is what Jesus does not do, right? If Jesus is going to act in our midst, what does he do first? He forms a committee, right? Because that's the way things work around here. God forbid he would do anything differently than that. Do you know, do you know where the church, global church, where the church is growing fastest in the world today? Anyone want to call out a few countries, take a guess? I'm not sure. That was, that was good participation so much I didn't hear it. It's China. It's Iran. It's sub-Saharan Africa. It's places where Jesus, historically, has been unfamiliar. They encounter him, and his presence and his kingdom comes up against their worldview and their experience, and they're going, oh my goodness, this is indeed good news, and they will sacrifice everything to follow him. Do you know where the global church is most in decline? Yeah, America and Western Europe, where for centuries we have had the privilege of the gospel in our midst, and because we have become familiar, overly familiar, take Jesus for granted. As Valentine's Day approaches, you can notice the obvious analogy, right? Whether it is with a spouse or a sweetheart or just any close friend or an adult child, if you begin to neglect the one you love, if you take them for granted, if you think, I know the way they are, they're always this way, you will end up rejecting them, even though you didn't mean to. Any chance this might be you? As you look at this passage and think, how familiar have I become with Jesus? Do I just assume that I know the way he's going to work in my life and the things he won't do? All right, there's one. Let's look at the second. Those who are unwilling to inconvenience themselves in order to entertain the presence of Jesus reject his power in their lives. So in, in this second story, we have Jesus sending out the disciples. It's a story that is offered to us, at least in some version, in all of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning Mark, Luke, and Matthew. In Mark, we have a pretty short version of it. A longer version is offered in Matthew chapter 10. You'll see it in greater detail. And then in Luke, you'll get a different story, but similar. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples, not just the 12. And in that passage, he says something interesting that I think we ought to, to take in. Look at this verse from Luke chapter 10. Let's bring it up here. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. As he's sending out the disciples, Jesus says, hey, be warned. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. I mean, the implication he's giving his disciples is, hey, don't take it too hard. 
if you get rejected, because really, they're rejecting me, not you. But we also ought to recognize that, that if, because we're unwilling to inconvenience ourselves, we reject some that Jesus has sent, or Jesus himself, or the Father in heaven, we, we're in a pretty dangerous spot. Let, let me tell you more about what led me to that understanding. In the Middle East, if you're here on Christmas Eve, we talked about this. In the Middle East, certainly back then and yet still today, there is an expectation of hospitality. It is one of the highest values of that culture. And so, again, back then, it's mostly still today, you're not going to find hotels and motels in Middle Eastern cities. You'll maybe get a few today, but not back then. Nobody's leaving the light on for you, right? Instead, people in these towns would look for travelers and for strangers and welcome them into their home. You would go to the, to the center gate uh, or, the, or the central part of town and someone would see you and, and welcome you into their house. In the Old Testament, uh, we see this in a challenging way in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's an expectation of hospitality in the Middle East, and yet Jesus is saying, so I'm going to send you out, and uh, people will defy our cultural expectations. You expect to be welcomed into someone's house, but let me just warn you, it won't always happen. And so we have to use our imagination a little bit and ask, well, why do you think people wouldn't invite them into their home as they would so many other times? There's no clear right or wrong answer here. We're just using our imagination, but, but certainly it's not hard to, to believe that human beings are always human beings, and like us, some of them sometimes went through moments where they went, I know I should, but I'm just too busy. I got to run the kids here and there. The house is a mess. I haven't gone grocery shopping. I see them standing there, but I just can't. It's too busy. Is that reasonable in your mind? I mean, another would be, we're told later on, the name of Jesus is becoming known. His disciples are known as well. Some people are eager, but a whole lot of others are pretty frustrated about who this guy is. And in fact, there might be some who are concerned that if they welcome one of Jesus' followers into their house, they might bring shame into their midst. Kind of a guilt by association thing. (laughs) Related to that might just be this sense of who am I or who do I want to be known to be? Because I was thinking about Harry Potter at the beginning of the the message, I got to thinking about my favorite story, which of course is The Hobbit and The the Lord of the Rings. I tell my kids, Harry Potter's nothing. you got to read these, and they don't believe me. But anybody else Hobbit fan? I know you are, Crawford. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, just because we've talked, not because you're short. So (laughs) we're good friends, I can say that. If you're a fan of The Hobbit, you likely will recognize the way it it begins. Introducing Frodo Baggins and his family. It says, the Bagginses were considered very respectable. 
not only because most of them were rich, but also because they never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. Never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. I wonder whether sometimes that might describe us and our faith. That we have the rhythms of our faith. We're happy to, to come on Sunday. We might do this or do that, but don't bother me with anything else. I don't want any adventures. I don't want anything to happen that's unexpected. This sentiment sometimes informs our prayer life, I think. Think about it. How do we pray? How do we pray when we ourselves or someone we care about is in trouble? They're sick. Something's wrong. Don't we pray for healing? Don't we pray for comfort? Don't we pray for peace? That's right. That's good. We we should do that. But don't we also recognize that sometimes God uses challenges like that, suffering like that, to reveal more of who he is and to form us into the people he wants us to be? Give me a head nod if you recognize that's true. Oh, we got a lot of teaching to do then. Or your necks don't work, one or the other, right? (laughs) We know that's true. If we know that's true, why would we not say when we pray, Lord, we want your comfort, we want your peace, but more than that, we want to know you. So we don't understand fully about why this is going on, but would you use it for your greater good? Would you help us to trust you, as we talked about last week? Would you do these things? We don't pray that way sometimes because we don't want adventure. We want to be left alone. And so we don't pray, God, help me grow. Or if you do, watch out, right? He might invite you. Like this week, I've had conversations. As Lent approaches, I'll just, this is a bit of an announcement. As Lent approaches, there are people organizing small groups. There's some small groups for men being organized. There's some small groups for women. We always are holding out the concept of a a covenant group, which is a kind of mixed gender. Let's just travel together. Uh, There's these opportunities that are forming, and we'll hold them out. And some of you go, well, I don't know. I'm awful busy. Or I'm not so sure I want to get that close to someone because I don't want them to know all that much about me. I might actually have to tell them my problems. But friends, Jesus does his work in the midst of relationship. And if we're unwilling to be inconvenienced, to take a risk, to go on an adventure with people, then we'll likely unwittingly reject his power and presence in our life. I mean, just so you don't think I'm only preaching at you, I look at myself, too. In, in two weeks, I'll be going for the second year in a row to a, to a local pastor's gathering. It's going to be at Maumee Bay State Park. It's organized by some other pastors in the city who come from a much more charis, charismatic background. So last year when I was there, uh, they did an intentional time of worship on Thursday night. And boy, the, the music was lively. Can you believe they had hands in the air? They were clapping. They were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. A word of prophecy. 
I made it about an hour and a half, and I went, I'm out. I just can't do this anymore. But they invited me back this year. And I'm going to go. Because I see Jesus here. And I, I don't understand everything. I probably don't agree with everything. But I, I feel like for my own sake and for our sake, to be connected to the greater body, I need to be there. Now, I'm taking my wife with me because I'm scared. Stacy's going to come, right? But, but I'm trying to lean in too to these things that feel inconvenient because I don't want to reject the power and the presence of Jesus in our life. Here's the last one. The last one, we, again, we didn't read, but it's, it's pretty obvious, easy to take hold of, even if we don't live it out that well. The last part that you'll read on your own has to do with the story of, of King Herod. The name of Jesus is, is gaining traction. People are talking about him. They're wondering, who is this guy that everybody's talking about? He's healing. He's raising people from the dead. And so are his followers. And Herod hears about him, and he goes, Mark 6, 16. Oh, I know who he is. This is John, John the Baptist, whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. Now, Herod's a lunatic, by the way. But, but that's what he thinks. And the rest of the passage, sometimes you'll miss this and it makes the whole passage confusing. The rest of the passage is a flashback where Herod tells you about why and how John the Baptist was beheaded. He was beheaded because he took Herod to task. Herod became enraptured with his brother Philip's wife Herodias. And so, because he was king and had power to do so, he took his brother's wife for himself. And John, believing that there was an authority greater than Herod's, greater than the king's, in verse 18, we see it, said to him, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. To which Herod says, says who? I'm king. You ever said that in your mind? Says who? It's my life. I get to do what I want. I don't care about what someone says, let alone what some book says. I'm the authority. This is the the gospel of our culture. No one gets to tell me what I'm supposed to be or do or think or believe. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm my own authority. But friends, if we unknowingly adopt this message of the culture, we will reject the presence of Jesus and his kingdom power in our life. I've shown you this passage time and time again because it's one of my favorites, but I'll do it again. Think about this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Yes, Dan, it's a navigator verse. All Scripture, Paul says to his kind of mentee in the faith, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Look what Paul says about the place of the scripture, God's word, God's authority in our life. Here's how he works. He uses it to rebuke us. Raise your hand if you like to be rebuked. Raise your hand if you like to be corrected, right? Raise your hand if you like to be taught or trained sometimes, but even that, right? It's like, I'm not so sure. God has given us his word in order to bring his authority into our life. And if we approach it and go, you know, I'm going to take this portion because I like it, but not this portion, we reject God's presence and his kingdom power in our life. We need to read it intelligently, for sure. But too often I hear, well, it's written by people, we don't really know what we can trust, and so we're just not sure. No, friends. God's word is God's gift to us. And it's by his word that his spirit reveals Jesus. Are you in danger? Any of these three categories. Becoming overly familiar. Being unwilling to be convenienced because you just want to be left alone. Or wanting to have authority over your own life. If I'm honest, I'm in danger in all three areas. And so I come to Jesus for help. As we come to the table, we recognize the table as an opportunity to think through these things as well. I mean, think about it. We're going to come forward to this table in a moment. Is there not a temptation? We do this every month. Is there not a temptation to just go through the motions because we know what we're doing? To, to encounter the sacrament uh, thoughtlessly? Let's not do that. I'm so grateful that we are. I mean, we talked about things that have changed since the pandemic. I, this is one of them. We are now coming forward. I'm really grateful for that. Because it signals to us, like, no, yeah, we need to be inconvenienced in order to receive Jesus, his presence and power in our life. And so most of us will come forward. I'm grateful for that. As you do, ask yourself this question. Have I allowed anything to rival Jesus' authority in my life in the past few days, hours. If you're honest with yourself, you'll, you'll see some things. Come grateful for his mercy. And as you receive his body and his blood, celebrate the gospel and his invitation to root your life in him again. With that, let me pray, and as I pray, if you're going to help uh, serve communion, please come forward uh, during that time. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have come into our midst, bringing your presence and your power. We recognize this morning, Lord, all of the potential ways that we might inadvertently, unknowingly reject you. We don't want to reject you. We want to be your faithful followers. And so would you meet us at this table in a special way? Fill us with your presence. Give us strength and faith and hope so that as we go from this place, we 
would continue to embody you together. That we would be your kingdom in this world. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, that I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.